Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. This is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for listening. And a big thank you to my Patreon subscribers who make this possible. If you'd like to subscribe, that link will be in the show notes and on the support page at organicwinepodcast.com, which is also a great resource for other things. Now, in a fun way, the name of this podcast, the Organic Wine Podcast, is a bit of a lie. It's about a lot more than organic and a lot more than wine. And if, if your definition of wine is only European grapes. So check out the library and find out what's beyond organic and wine. <laughs> My guest for this episode is Marcelo Castrovera of Octagono, one of the few natural wines in Mexico and the only winery nationwide that ferments in clay vessels buried in the ground. They don't have electricity in the winery, so the whole winemaking process is done by hand. They add zero sulfites to their wine, and they also produce artisanal mezcal, which I'm falling in love with, for sure. In addition to mezcal, though, they're distilling prickly pears, they're making beer, mead, ciders. It sounds like he is just having a blast creating and crafting drinks by hand with no electricity (laughs) in central high elevation Mexico and just having a fun doing it. There's a lot of inspiring things about what Marcelo is doing. And I love his thinking about how doing all this winemaking by hand creates jobs for people. And that he sees this as the goal of the winery rather than getting rich. So I hope you're inspired by him to think about what wine could become by eliminating some of the things that we take for granted. Enjoy. Marcelo, thank you so much for doing this. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Ah, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for for having me. So I'm very glad that we got to meet, and I didn't. I don't think I actually got to try your wines because you were, you know, doing the panel. And I, well, I think I did try one of your wines in the panel, right? At Raw, right. the white, the white. Yes, yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, even out of a day of tasting a lot of wines, <laughs> I do yeah, remember it. I'm sure. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> So, and your your winery, and maybe it's more than a winery, is Octagono, is that right? Correct. Our winery is uh, goes by the name of Octagono. It's uh, an octagon shape, you know, an eight shape. Um, Got it, right. <laughs> is that the shape of the building? It is the shape or... of the building, yeah. It has okay. A, okay. a story where it used to belong to, well, some Boy Scouts, organization used to rent it and and then it was just there sitting there so it called us energetically to to do the winery there so it's quite unique <laughs> nice and and on your website where i i there's a lovely video i you know you start this video uh that is about what you're doing there and the reason i bring it up is because the scenery that we we get these sweeping sort of drone shots of of the scenery that i imagine is essentially where the land is, where the things come from that you ferment. I know you have a tasting room in San Miguel de Allende. Is that, that's right, right? Correct. We have a relatively new tasting room in San Miguel de Allende, um, where we do the tastings for the wine and the distills and other things we, we, we produce. But yeah, you, you, you are right. The, the video you saw, it's, uh, it's in the mountains. It's about a two hour drive from San Miguel. And that's where we have the winery and we also have the, uh, whatever you want to call it, the distillation um, small factory, the Palenque, where we distill agave and uh, we also right. distill other other fermented uh, uh, products. <laughs> and I, I mean, the, the impression that I had was just how lush it looked. I mean, it just was, you know, not what I expected from the sort of that, that area, you know, I, but I don't know that area very well. So I was just, you know, if there were, you know, there are ponds and it's, it just looked lovely. I mean, it looked yeah. you know, much like, yeah, yeah, anyway, just like a lush mountainous region sure. from Central Europe. Like I was saying, it could have been the Czech Republic, which was my yeah. screensaver this morning. You could, you could, you, could um, you know, see it as that. I, it's a property owned by my dad and my uncle. They bought it 50 years ago, a very big piece of land where they have built some uh, lakes, dams, however you want to call them, trails. They've also developed part mm-hmm. of it for weekend houses. 
There are a couple of wow. hotels inside, golf course, not your typical golf course, you know, that this kind of very well taken care of. But it's an oak forest. We're higher in altitude than San Miguel. So I'm I'm right here right now, actually. I don't get to come that often. I used to live here while, uh. while making all these projects. Right now we have people, and I do come back to 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 enjoy, to check. But um, I, I spend more time now in San Miguel de Allende because of the tasting room where we have gotten a lot of attention, thankfully, you know. Right. But um, this place yeah. is lovely, you know, with climate change. I mean, I feel like San Miguel is also going through, you know, some hot days and lack of rain and yeah. water issues, blah, blah. So you one comes here and the wind just runs all day. You need a sweater, you know. You're kind of breathing oh, wow. this amazing air. Uh, like you say, looking at the, this lush trees, whipping willows, oak trees, pines, um, flowers. Yeah. And, you know, it hasn't rained that much, but still so pretty now. Yeah. Gorgeous, yeah. And do you know what the elevation is there? Well, in meters, it's about 2,500, and I know you guys do feed, and if I'm not mistaken, it's 2,500? Uh, meters, yeah, that's... So in feet, if I'm not mistaken, it's around the 8,000 feet. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe. Oh, wait, are you growing things there? Are you growing grapes there? Well, we've that... tried. It's been difficult. Um Okay. We're always honest about that we do source uh, the grapes locally from right, right. Nearby. Okay. Um, it is a tough terroir. I we we did try planting grapes. Uh, we do have a couple that's been growing, but you know it's uh, we get we, we got snow seven years ago. You know, so I know that the grapes yeah. survive that, but I mean it's Mexico. I mean, come on, also. What what grapes and, and then you have the organic soil. I mean, the soil has rocks underneath, uh, etc. I mean, it's it's not the easiest one. Let's say not impossible, but not the easiest. <laughs> right, right. Well, um, can you talk about the the vineyards or the the sources of your fruit? I mean, what what do you look for? Why are you sourcing your fruit from there? What's what are the stories behind those places? Well, uh, I mean, we you you have you have uh, possibilities to source grape within the state of Guanajuato, which we we do. Guanajuato, <laughs> the state has a history of of winemaking, quite interesting, you know. Whereas other yeah. states in Mexico have it too, where we 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 were. Um, obliged to plant some grapes we're talking hundreds of years you know with the with the with the spanish conquest right um so we were obliged to plant them and then we were obliged to 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 take to rip them out you know but anyways that's 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 some history so there was winemaking in in guanajuato more than 200 years ago um and it was mm -hmm. it was important and then it just kind of um disappear for a bit and and then it's it's coming back quite strong with a lot of conventional wineries some naturals we have that uh, we also source from a nearby state where I'm where the winery is it's closer to that uh, those those vineyards called Aguascalientes Aguascalientes used to grow grapes and and also make brandy you know ferment and then distill mm -hmm. um back, I don't know, 50 years ago, it was quite important, maybe a bit more. So you have all these uh, amazing uh, varietals like uh, Macabeo and Muscat. You know, you have this also, um, these grapes uh, from the family of, of the Tintoreras, in French Tintor, where the, the, the pulp also has color, you know, like Seperavi or like Garnacha Tintorera or Alicante, you know, they're, they're kind of funky, funky, funky yeah. grapes. And we, with that grape, we, we yeah. make fortified wine. That grape is used also in, in, in some juices on sodas, you know, because of the, the rich color that comes from the skin and the, and the inside, the pulp. Um, so it's just kind of, you know, I'm all over the place telling you this, but it's kind of so you get an idea how, yeah. like you say, how yeah. big the country is and how much possibilities it has to, to keep just experimenting and, and having, um, I, I did a wine a couple of years ago with, with, uh, 
with a German uh, varietal. Uh, it was not Riesling. It was, um, I, I tend to forget it, but I'll, I'll remember the name. And um, anyway, so, so, so you'll be amazed what, yeah, of course they have Malbec, of course they have Cabernet Sauvignon, of course they have all this kind of typical, to say, to, to say it like this, um, grapes um, in Mexico, which for good or bad, uh, a lot of winemakers up in California, um, California, Mexico, um, they're 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 inclining to do these European um, grapes, you know, more than experimenting with, uh, yeah. let's say, Rosa de Peru or Mission Mission that you guys have it in California too. There are some doing it, but they yeah. they're looking, I guess, for for uh, more structured wines, which. I feel with climate change, with Mexico being hot, I, I feel like more more producers should try to do more whites, more rosés, than just focusing on on making more reds. You know, I mean, with the weather, with the food, I think yeah. it has a lot of potential. Those those other wines, orange wines, why not? Yeah, yeah, seems yeah to go very well. Um, what's the like? So with things like because. Uh, like agave and and the vineyards what is the farming like there in in that area like what how how yeah what's it like i mean the, to talk about the agaves it's uh the municipality where here it has the uh the product of origin you know to be named mezcal not a lot of people believe mm-hmm. that uh, it's not only Oaxaca that can produce the, the still from agaves and call it mezcal, but also other states, and Guanajuato is one of them. So you have this municipality. There's only out of 40-something municipalities in the state of Guanajuato, only two can can produce a drink and call it mezcal. Here's the, the one I'm producing. You can call it mezcal. Um, so you do, have, you do have agaves, and you have them we have them in property, but we also tend to support local producers. We try to help them. It's not like they've been selling it for to produce mezcal, but it's been growing wild. So we come and we, we try to tell right. not just to explode the land, but to also replant, you know. Um, and, and, and Guanajuato is not as rich as Oaxaca in terms of uh, the amount of agaves to be distilled. So we have about five of them. We focus uh, ourselves in three. And um, there are surroundings um, with with uh, local, I don't know, uh, people owning lands and, and them selling us. So you, you can be assured that they don't have pesticides, they don't have chemicals. It's not your typical uh, growing in rows, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's giving the time that the agave needs. Right. They're sort of foraging on their own land kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Is that- yeah, and uh-huh. and uh, and what about the grapes? Because I know the grapes are probably a little more, you know, you know, like more. It's less wild. <laughs> Obviously, they've well, yeah. be planted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I I wish no, we could have that too, but uh, no, that that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, a bit more uh, taken care of. No, to say to to put it like that, um, it's not as high in altitude. Like I was telling you, the places we, we go lower about 1,800 meters above sea level. I don't know how much that is in feet, but I would say about, uh, what, 6,000 maybe? 6,000. Something like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there we have this all uh, vineyards and new ones and, and kind of in the middle, you know, where where, uh, as I was saying, well, the, the, there was a big uh, peak on, on the producing of, of the distills or even wine. So now they're reviving them or they're planting new ones. And um, at least the ones we work with, we've been behind them for, for, for years that, uh, well, they, they, and some of them were doing it already, you know, they, they weren't putting um, yeah. chemicals or the, the conventional treatment to to the vineyards because uh, they didn't believe on it they didn't have the money so they would just use uh, as much as organic uh, products to to take care of them you know for 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 whatever um, thing they they needed saying about um, the farming of the grapes where this this that that area used to be big it had a peak so they're reviving the vineyards they're planting new ones and they're 
some of them are not using any any intervention, meaning chemically in the vineyard. Uh, they might not be certified organic because, you know, it's costly too, but they do the practices. We wish we had more biodynamic, but it's also hard, you know, for these people. I mean, some, some of these people, it's not like your typical vineyard where they can hire all these people for studies and, and this and that, you know, I mean, they're, they're, some of them, yeah. the, the, the resources, you know, and they're trying their best, but they're doing it with passion, just like we're making the wine. So we feel like it's a great connection and we only look for those type of grapes. Some of them were, I was saying, some of them were already doing it before I, I found them. So we're, we're happy with that. Um, we wish okay. we had our own vineyard, but we, we talk about the altitude here, the, the limitations right. of, of that. Um, so we, we, we've taken care of, of getting a good fruit for, for our wine. And, and we believe that's, of course, that's, that's a very important. Uh, I, I don't know if the most important, some people might say, but might be, but it's very important. We, how we, if I can jump into the winemaking, how we make the wine. Sure. It's, I mean, it's unique in Mexico. We we are sure that we're the only winery in this country where we are fermenting or making the wine in clay pots, clay amphoras, call them tinajas or huevri style. Uh, we do bury them. And this comes a little bit because Georgia, the cradle of wine, is an ex-Soviet Union country, and my wife is from Uzbekistan, another ex-Soviet Union country. You know, with a with at least more more history of of making wine than Mexico. Um, what Mexico <laughs> is believed to have five hundred years, maybe in the making of wine. No, maybe Georgia eight thousand, maybe Uzbekistan seven thousand, six thousand five hundred at least. So it is a big difference. So we kind of fell in yeah. love with the, the idea of making it in clay. Now the municipality we're in, the 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 the, the capital, uh, has has been making pottery for for dozens of years. So it kind of clicked there too. We're not bringing them from the states or Georgia, you know, or or Slovenia, or whatever you call it, or Italy. We're just making them here, and they're unique. I mean, they might not be the the capacity. Uh, winemakers are looking for 300 liters, 500 or more. Our hours are only 130 liters, but um, we, we're happy with that. We have a lot of them. We're coated them with beeswax from the area in the in, inside, mm -hmm. so the wine doesn't sip through. And um, and then you have that the 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 wine is also made solely by hand with no machines. Whatsoever, we don't mm. own one sole machine except the corking Portuguese corking manual device, because I don't know how right. else to do it without it. You know how do you squeeze the cork <laughs> with the hands? But uh, we step on we, we step on the uh, stump on the on the grape, and we only use whatever we have. Pretty much the hands, maybe just like a kind of like a net, a cloth, uh, like kind of like a cheese cloth to to squeeze the grape whenever it's needed. We don't use, we don't have, and we don't use pumps. We don't have any stainless steel. The winery is solely uh, clay, um, uh -huh. no plastic, and uh, and of course it's a it's a spontaneous fermentation with wild yeast, whatever the yeast has been in our winery or has in the grape. So we we feel very proud to say that we are in Mexico in those two things unique. We don't know another winery doing it by hand um, as we're doing. Yeah or in clay. And then, well, of course, we're a natural wine. We tend to be, I say, different than other natural wine producers in Mexico. And uh, let's just say Mexico. I mean, we could say all over the world, but there are wines I, uh, being made, I think, like we're doing them um, in another part of the world. We, we, we work with those grapes we talk about, you know, with practices uh, without intervention. We do spontaneous fermentation, like I mentioned. Uh, we don't do we don't do any intervention or we do the, the lease. We don't filtrate. We don't clarify. We don't add sulfites, not during the, 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 the process or in, in bottle, since some, some natural wines can add, you know, it's said to 30 parts per million. But we, we decided just to work with the natural occurring sulfites and we're happy about it. We do 
have a result of a wine where it won't be your natural wine that resembles a bit of a conventional wine. And I, I, I want to be clear on this. You know, I personally, I, 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 I like that more wineries, more people is making natural wine. And I feel like there are the two routes doing a natural wine that is closer to the taste of a, a conventional wine where they use a bit more technology, stainless steel pumps, whatever. And then you have the other one that could be funky or unique. I don't catalog my wine as funky. I catalog my wine as unique, where we just mm-hmm. really let it express. We don't we don't use oak barrels. We don't want that taste um, in our mm-hmm. wines. We just do oak and then oak um, age and then then to the bottle. So you won't have that those those um, those notes of uh, an oak barrel. So we are unique in many, many, many ways, not only in the clay and in the hands. We we have the floor being made by itself on, on top of our vessels, you know, so it protects kind of like a Jerez or, you know, all, mm. all these wines. So we, we have learned by ourselves. We do come from another school, just like maybe you, you heard on the panel. Uh, and, and by school, I mean, we... We had to learn by ourselves, you know, and we like where we are. Our wines are light, fresh, low alcohol, no pretentiousness, just like it comes there on the, on the site. And we're happy with the, with, with the result. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, I mean, I know you said there's only a winemaking tradition of 500 years in Mexico, but I I think your fermentation traditions go way further back than that. Um, Especially when you start talking about, the agave and the and the uh, nopal right there's uh, sure. which are two two ingredients that you make use of um i I'm, I'm very curious about your use of the prickly pears can you talk about that what you do with that how that came to be sure we started we started by you know producing mezcal uh and then we we said well why 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 stop here and not experiment with some other experimental distills and you know what you would call in Europe schnapps or the bees, you know, grabbing these fruits, fermenting them, and then distilling them, you know. So yeah. we it is it, it is used for people here to ferment the prickly pear, the and 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 get this if, if we can call it wine out of out of prickly pear. They call it colonche, and um, it colonche. ferments by itself. It has a lot a, a lot of a lot of sweetness, a lot of sugar. Um, mm-hmm. and I think so much that I don't think it, it kind of breaks it that easy. You know, it takes a while. It's not grape, you know, it's, it, they can be quite, oh sweet. yeah, it's viscous, right? Very viscous. Thick. Yeah. 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 Too sweet sometimes, you know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and we, we ferment that, we ferment that and then we just run it through our distilled pots. They're copper. And we, what do we get? Well, we get this prickly pear schnapps, prickly pear or the big prickly pear distill. I don't know. It does it doesn't have like a like a one term. We it's yeah. amazing. It's unique. It tastes tastes amazing. You know, for to to have something else in this country in this world to to maybe make mixology with. And then we grab the grana cochinilla. Um, which is a natural bark from the nopal. They used to dye textiles in Peru, in Mexico, some other parts in the world. Right. They use it for other things. So we we dye the 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 transparent distill that we get uh, with that. So it, it, we give it a little bit of a reddish color, pinkish. Oh, really? Yeah. So it kind of it's a nice touch it, because it won't change the flavor. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It does not. So, oh, so it's kind of because yeah. because the prickly pear we use. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but in Mexico we have more than five different kinds of prickly pear. You have the red ones. You have some yellow ones, some green ones, some yeah ones. Yep. So they're all different in taste. Funnily, in yeah in yep. sizes. So we use the red one, which is the one we have handy here, and that's why we dye it after we distill it. You know, and it just gives uh a nice touch to it. Nice, yeah. I was gonna say that's that is great. Yeah. Do does that go into the fermentation as well? I mean, are there cochineal on the tunas when you harvest them? 
No, to, to be honest, I mean, the, the, you could find them. Uh, but you're, you're getting cochineal otherwise. I am. I am. I am. There are farmers. Uh, I didn't know this, but Peru, I think, holds 90% of the market worldwide, you know. Right, so, <laughs> right. right. Mexico, there are farmers and, and you know, it. You, you, you squeeze it and it's a bit um, liquid. So you also might need the, the process of, of making it a bit uh, dry, you know, so it's easier yes, to, yeah. to transport, to keep it and to, to, to apply it. But it's, it's very simple. And, and, you know, yeah. not a lot of people know this, but Campari used to be dyed with, with that. In Italy, you have a oh, lot of, really? a lot of uh, nopales, cactuses that were grown to get that to get that product. I don't know if exclusively for Campari, but I'm guessing for other paints or or textiles, dyes, I, I don't yeah. know. But they used to it grow it a lot in some islands, in some regions of Italy. So Campari is no longer, from what I understand, no longer dyed with that. And it says on the label. Yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, it's grown so much. And for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, it's like if you ever see a prickly pear cactus that has like a white fuzz on it, the, that white fuzz is sort of this, the is built by a little insect. And if yeah. you harvest that and smash it, it turns this deep, bright red. Deep. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and it, it is used, has been used as this really unique dye uh, for centuries since it was discovered. And yeah, and that's, that's very cool. Yeah, the uh, the multiple. I mean, I'm I, I'm beginning to think that prickly pear are, are similar to grapes or anything else like apples, where there's just like you know many many varieties. Every variety has a slightly different flavor, and each color has a different. It's like starburst. You know, when you're eating the different colors, it's like every color has is like a different tropical flavor. For um, sure. And it's, and, yeah, and, yeah, and the, and the are not using them as much. You know, you you they grow wild. Yeah most of the the prickly pear tuna as right. we, we call it so i mean people do make champs they export they they do this and that but uh, i think it could it could grow even more we did a co-fermented wine with prickly pear about two years ago came out quite nice you know i mean imagine like yeah. you were saying all these all these flavors that the prickly pear has you know together with yeah the, yeah the co-fermentation i hear in the states is is becoming quite popular so yeah i i did uh, right. i do that as well i do the oh. co-fermentation every year I'm on my third vintage of prickly pear oh nice um, prickly pear, yeah prickly pear usually with an aromatic white grape muscat viognier works really well i mean whatever is you know where i can find from a, an organic vineyard nearby um but that those work really well and co-fermenting works really well if if you can do it. Although I don't know about you, but here they ripen at different times, the grapes and the prickly pear. So there's some yeah. delay. Yeah. I, yeah, it's like hard to get the grapes, you know. And it yeah, there's all kinds of little little things that make it a little challenging. Correct. <laughs> but, I mean, the idea the idea is nice. I don't know. You probably have more uh, a lot of um, experience in this. How to ferment and how to keep that prickly pear wine you know to to not uh go bad etc you know i haven't i haven't done that because i i ferment and then distill and i did this called fermented um but yeah i think it's a fruit that it's it should be exploded more in many ways it's we're not yeah. damaging the ecosystem on the contrary i think we we are getting something very mexican i hear in in arizona there's some people fermenting and distilling it and and i guess yes, they're going to start yeah. more and more yeah, I think, I mean, especially, I think in California could do very well because it's the, you know, I mean, it's such a resilient crop and, and edible and fermentable and, you know, you can get an oil from the seeds that's a really high quality oil. Correct. So it has a lot of amazing uses. And then what was I just hearing? Um, Jaime was telling me something about, and I've totally forgotten it now. I don't think if it's a compost or it's some, kind, oh, it's like a tea, yeah, like a, like a tincture, mm -hmm. like a, like a you know, like a, a preparation where you, right. you know, ferment the, the Nepal and then that becomes a vineyard spray yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, agaves have so many uses. The Nepal can be boiled into this product where they would use for, for the roofing, you know, to to protect it from the water. And uh, huh. 
de nopal, de agave, has, as I said, so, so many usage. Uh, they don't need that much water. Yeah. Um, right. I'm not, I'm not the expert on the agave and nopal. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I love them and I, I, I keep learning, but uh, there are so many yeah. usages. Well, uh, well, I'd love to know how you got to this point in your life. I know you've had kind of an interesting journey. This wasn't something that you started out in. Can you, can you tell your story a little bit? Like, how, how did you end up here? I would love it. Um, well, I, my background is in, in, in hotels, uh, in hospitality. I actually met my wife while I was, while we were both studying in Switzerland um, and we were doing our, our, well, we did, we ended up doing bachelors there. Anyways, um, I, I grew up uh, surrounded by hotels um, because of my grandfather um, and, and I did work in, in that for a couple of years. Uh, during that time, I always loved wine. And I would, I had actually the biggest Mexican red wine collection, you know, of course, conventional back then. I don't even right. think it's natural, but I was very much into wine, what, what wine does, you know, in a, in a very cultural yeah. way with food, with people. And then I, I kind of, my life turned another way of not doing uh, hotel businesses, you know, or working in that industry. And, uh, I said, why not have my own winery? And we started out by doing it like that in clay, you know, kind of unique and and, and, and simple, humble. We, uh-huh. after seven, eight years, we were still doing it like that. And uh, so that I, I, the mezcal, the distillation was actually a year before the wine. You know, I always love the, the drink, what mezcal, not tequila, because of mm-hmm. what it represents. So I... We started with that, and then the wine came. We've done uh, some beer, uh, we've done some mead, uh, some cider, and all the experimental distills where we we try to grab fruits like mango and and berries and strawberries. Uh, this the even the pulque we we have uh, distilled it. Um, so, anyways, that's what life brought me to. We have. Uh, uh, shipping container kind of hotel close to the distillation, uh, the distill and the winery. And we have some sort of uh, restaurant. We cook everything with wood so we can welcome people. And, and you know, we, we, we try to keep it simple. We, we feel like uh, things in life should be more simple. And we're happy with it, how our lives have turned. Um, we do export the wine to the States and to Canada our production is not that much. So we try to take care of it. We do sell in Mexico in our tasting room also in, in some cities where you get a lot of tourism from Europe, from the States, and they're looking to for natural wine. So we sell to, to restaurants. So that's, that's kind of the, the story, how we, how we're here. (laughs) Well, how, how did that, how did your, how did your thinking evolve, I guess, is maybe, an, uh, I'll get a more detailed question for you, from that collection of, you know, big, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, the what we would think of as collectible conventional wines, um, to wanting to produce natural wine. Like, what was that evolution in your thinking? Or, or you know, what, what did, was there a moment or was it a series of things that happened? You know, it's, it's a great question. It's a great question. I mean, I, I feel like, I was kind of on the corporate world and I and I decided to to step down and I guess with that also kind of um the analogy would be for wine you know but conventional to 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 natural I sorry and and it's just um the I I, I guess it was a mix of things you know energetically we we say well why not make wine different why not start making it in clay, doing it by hand, tasting uh, what what it does to your body <laughs> at the moment, the yeah. next day, etc. You know, and it kind of just like they say, the stars align, and and little by little things started happening that were just getting on our way in a, um, to 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 go that route. Nowadays, personally, I don't I don't I don't drink any conventional wine. You know, it's yeah. settled with me. Um, energetically so I yeah 
I tend to search for for natural wines. But I guess it was, yeah, it was a mix of things and it was just meant to be. Here we are now, you know, out of corporate, out of um, conventional wine, making what what we like, how we like it. And, 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 and the best thing is that people are also enjoying it and they, they're really... They're really liking it because it is unique. I mean, it's hard for me to compare it to another wine where us other natural wines in Mexico. I mean, you could compare them to to other even Mexican natural wines or um, somewhere else in the world, like many of them, you know, again, because they're they're using a bit of technology uh, or or more. And, and they're trying to resemble with oak or with with the notes to 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 have it as a as a conventional wine. We are not into that we like what the result right. we have the uniqueness of of our wine with the big acidity you know but but yummy and 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 easy to drink etc yeah probably good with the food of the region i imagine for sure for sure i mean with the with the the condiments we use in our food you know with the spiciness uh it goes perfectly kind of cuts it cuts through quite quite nice it goes about hand by hand and you know, wines, we like them that they're not so alcoholic like other wines in the world. Um, yeah. About 10% to 11 are wine. So, you know, we, we, you know, we like them. We're happy. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is, what is the, is there, I mean, can you talk about mezcal and any like traditions that are involved in drinking that, consuming mezcal? Like, is that traditionally, how, how is that? consumed how how do you consume it well i mean mezcal was the first uh still agave drink in mexico i mean the, it is known that tequila is considered a mezcal and all of the other drinks as uh bacanora or or uh, raicilla you know maybe not so tall because it's not uh fully an agave but uh, so mezcal is it's really the, the the root of it, you know. Tequila just became this demanded product, and and it's it's huge. So mezcal is now has really a, a hot vibe, um, being produced artesanal and with different agaves. Um, I feel like uh, it might start being mass produced, and and I think it's starting sadly, but there's yeah. still a lot of producers doing it in small batches like us. Um, and mezcal is just unique. I mean, you can't, it's so complex, you know, made out of so many agaves, different terroirs. I had a, uh, a friend who was into whiskey and, you know, whiskey is also, uh, the, 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 the options are very big, but he was saying that he feels that mezcal could be the most complex drink, you know, and, and this guy knew because of it, what involves the process and the different agaves, the different terroirs. So you can imagine a, a, yeah. an agave plant from Oaxaca and another one from central Mexico, another one from the north, you know, the same plant, maybe the same agave, how it would taste yeah. different by doing different wood to, to cook it, different yeast to, to mm. ferment it, different hands, different climate, different distillation method so how it could taste different but mezcal is is really a magical drink i mean if you know how to drink it how to appreciate it shouldn't get you drunk just really get you magical you need to respect the drink you know and and how it's drank i mean people still believe that <laughs> drinks should have their own space into aperitif or digestive, you know, or with, with the meal. And I feel like mezcal can be drank in all three, you know, before meal, if you do yeah. that, or during a meal, just pairs beautiful with some food. And and why not as a digestive, you know, with dessert or or after a, a, a big meal, you can just sip on a couple of mezcales and feel, feel great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I guess the thing, the difference between whiskey, like you, you've got me thinking about that because it's, it's a, it's a perennial. I mean, the cactus is a perennial plant versus whiskey is coming from these annual grains. So in terms of terroir expression, exactly. you know, if it's, if we're talking about the land, I mean, obviously terroir includes, you know, the culture and everything else, but you get, you get both of those with, with, uh, 
agave uh, that I think, you know, an annual crop sort of lacks that perennial crop um, yeah, and also depth of expression. Of, think of a whiskey that most of the whiskeys, if not all of them, are, are aging oak, you know, I mean, they, they kind of need that. And whereas yeah. mezcal is the total opposite, they're very, very small percentage is aging oak. In fact, I'm against that. You know, I feel like mezcal and many other people believe that, that it should just come out of this cell, of course, with some time to rest in glass, you know, but then, then just drank that. So the oak doesn't diminish any flavors that all this agave is bringing by itself. You know, we don't need the oak. Mezcal right. need the oak. Right. I feel like that there was this tradition with tequila as well, where you, you know, you started getting these big, you know, they, they reflected sort of like a Napa cab where it's just like new Oak and they're caramelized. And, you know, this was like exactly. the trend here for a while. Like, I mean, their whole right. brands built on that, you know? Yeah. And it tastes like a, like an H rum or a cognac or I don't know. Right. Right. You know, and, right. and it would just not feel the agave there, the, the, the soul of it. So right. to its own, um, mezcal is not into right. that. <laughs> <laughs> not reposados, not añejos. There are people doing them, mezcal producers, but I feel it's a small percentage, and and the, the producers like me really uh, prefer to to just to to go, you know, with the with the spirit uh, as it comes out. Yeah. Now, I would love to ask you just about the the fermentation in the clay pots. Do you? How does it work when you have to get the wine in and out of the pots? So, because you were talking about burying them, do you do you bury them and dig them up every vintage? Do you have to like? Do you have we to scoop? Scoop out the the wine, yeah, with a with a one liter kind of cup, you know. So right. The thing is that, and then do you clean the vessel afterwards? We like do how clean do you... the, the vessels? Um, okay. Some of them, some of them break eventually. Some of them need yeah. packing with the beeswax. Um, uh-huh. We don't like uh, getting that because we do need to um, dig them out and it takes a lot of, you know, effort. We are, yeah. the winery is mainly led by women. And um, not only that, but by not having machines, we were hiring more people. We're giving more jobs, whereas many wineries all over the world will, will be against that. More machines, you know, right. but down the cost. We're the total opposite. We understand that the cost might go up, but we're not doing this as most of the wineries in the world, uh, believing th- as businesses. We don't, we don't take ourselves as a business. We don't, we're not looking at results at the end of the month, at the end of the year with our spreadsheet. You know, we're doing it out of passion. We're doing it to share so we do have to put a price and we do need to sell it. By the way, our prices are very reasonable how we make them. And right. we do like sharing and we do need to sell in order to, to, to pay those jobs we are liking to, to create and, and more clay pots and, you know, the, gray, the grape itself and the bottles and the labels. But we are not here to become millionaires, you know, like many wineries would do every year, getting more more equipment, producing more, uh, speeding the process, shipping it to more countries. We are doing it, again, as a, as a passion and, and to share um, what we're making. And it does return in that form. That's good. But it returns in, in not only monetary, in other forms where people like them, they appreciate them. We've been we've been written up in in, in important um, magazines that we have not looked for them, we have not asked, but they just come energetically because of what we're doing. And I think life is like that. You do you do it like that, good things come to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Now I, I often think about that with organic farming as well, where it's like you know it, it because you can't rely on. The chemicals you it takes a lot more labor but that's you know and people see that as a bad thing but i i'm like well that could be a really good thing for the people that get the job you know um you know for especially in a if especially if if we have i don't know for me it's i, I don't know if you can talk to this maybe this is something that is not an issue there but you know we have like labor shortages here because there's only so many people that are doing this work and they everybody needs them all at the same time you know twice a year like it's either like you know during like at harvest especially is like there's like everybody everybody needs the same people that 
there's a limited pool of. And I'm like, well, what if you just were able to provide year-round labor for people to continue to have like a full-time job so that they didn't have to be seasonal and, you know, have that uncertainty in their life as well right. as provide more stability in the workforce for for your own benefit, you know, where you have when you need that labor there, they've already been there a year, all year. So you don't have to go looking for them. Um, does that do you guys have similar labor issues there? Or is it too, we, you know, I mean, we, it's not as big of a wine region. So maybe it's very different. But just curious. Yeah, no, I think everybody has that that issue. We do have a fixed staff. But then whenever we are harvesting, and, and and starting to 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 make wine to produce wine we do hire extras we wish we could hold that amount of people year round but it's it's difficult you know it there are limitations on both sides um and then you know we we do have the fixed staff for, for the projects here but uh, yeah. it's not it's not easy you know i mean it's it's hard labor where where you have to stomp on the grapes and and, and bucket them into the clay pots and then do the push push downs and the cleaning and 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 you know organizing it's it's a lot of work people don't don't uh, think that uh, that that is that difficult to do it by hand and a lot of people don't get it don't appreciate it they just have their distempers which we don't their pumps their uh, it's stainless steel with a with a temperature control. You know, they they do the remontage. Yeah. When, uh, but how do they do it? And it, it's fine. We do it our way. But uh, people need to get out more uh, to see how wine is was made. You know, I mean, with the wine we we're looking at now, the conventional is what two hundred years old, maybe three hundred. I don't even think that long. And and for eight thousand years minus two hundred and fifty, you know what gives you that? It gives you that wine was made like this, and it's just recent, you know, that 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 we're yeah. seeing the, these metals, you know, this marketing and these big names where the wine must be done like that, and people just really getting trapped on this and not saying, well, what if? What if it can be made like this? What if everybody can make their own wine? Because also I feel the people feel like it's made in a lab. Well, some of them are, right? But uh, why why, why can it be easier to learn and to, to start making wine out of fruits and maybe distilling like the, the culture is in Europe, you know? Every, every home in the country yeah. would do their own wine and would have it for the year. But no, we have, they have led us to to buy the, the 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 bottles and the marketing and the label and the metals and we are as you can understand by now we're kind of going against that yeah yeah well what else what other ideas do you have that are contrary to the popular ideas <laughs> um i mean this is one i wish i wish more people would uh will believe that uh that they can, they could, it's easier than they think. I'm not saying making wine is as easy as snapping your fingers, but also the belief of, of producing your own thing, let alone alcohol, you know, just from preserved meats, etc. We have lost that uh, over the last years uh, just to go to the supermarket and being easy to grab. So I would like to maybe help out in that. I, I do believe that also uh, we are, we could be called radical, but we are against to the what's so-called now low intervention wine. It's like low intervention wear, and they call themselves natural. Sadly, there's not a regulation. I mean, France has some sort of one, but uh, yeah. all over the world, there's no regulation. So a lot of wines are lying. A lot of wines are just labeling themselves. A lot of are exceeding the 30 parts per million dosage of, of sulfites. Well, we, you, you don't use one, but uh, wines are trying to, to be close to the conventional wine. And all of that, we, we don't like it. Wineries that produce conventional wines are doing a small percentage of natural wine. And for that, they should be called natural. I'm against that. I think either you are or you're not, you know, you can't do that just for a business purpose or to be on the trend, you know. Just go fully then, you know, or, or yeah. be be honest about it. So all of that, I think it's really, 
starting to, it's going to start complicating things with the information for people, you know. What is natural? What is low yeah. intervention? Where does low intervention go to? I mean, low intervention yeah. for maybe a big winery could be not uh, putting so much sulfide, you know, and, and the rest in the process, they use so many additives, they correct it so much. Yeah. So, so we feel like we have all that uh, job to to be trying to do, but luckily more and more, you know, like this podcast of yours is trying to teach, to communicate, to to spread um, other other ways of, of seeing things, of consuming things. And and I I am hoping that people can get a, a, a yeah. grab out of it. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> I, uh, I find uh, there is already quite a bit of confusion, or not even confusion, just misinformation. You know, yeah. like people that think they know what natural wine is, and <laughs> and they they think it means yeah, yeah. I mean, and then if you question them, you're just they're sort of you met with blank stares, and you're like, yeah, yeah, what do you? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's 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 interesting. I I I like I I mean I really appreciate the approach that you're taking to the making of it of just keeping it <laughs> like fully manual. Um how how big is your production? Is that a We have been increasing it throughout the years. Um yeah. so our last production might might sound a lot. We kind of went crazy. It's about a 1500 cases. Oh, we nice. we yeah. make we make a white, we make an orange. The white, by the way, is three three to four weeks uh, skin contact, so it can just go as an orange, but we call it white, then the orange, <laughs> then the rosé. Just like yeah. seven to eight months skin to contact or something? Like, yeah, from four yeah. to five, six, seven, eight, nine months. Okay, I mean. gotcha. And then we have the rosé, uh, which is not a blend of, of white with, with red. It's just like a... Uh, uh, some hours of of skin contact with a red grape, and then we have the red with no oak. We do make a fortified. We have our own grappa from for, since we can distill, so we we fortify with that, having a wine that is unique, it's kind of like mm-hmm. a portish port port style, but it's different in flavor. It's unique. Bit sweet, not overpowering. We do make a little bit of piquet, a little bit of pet nut, but you know it's tough by not having the the machines, the technology. I mean, I'm not saying you yeah, can't. Yeah. I'm just saying that right. if you don't want to have that many sediments, if you might have more yeah. more more, spar- more sparkles than you that you were looking for. I mean, we we tend to not measure many things. We used to measure temperature. Um, we know we're not into measuring the pH and this and, and how yeah. we, of course, the, the, the grapes with the sugar, you know, but we also think that, uh, it, it sounds a bit shamanic, but energetically the wine speaks to you, you know, and you speak to the wine and, and the must and, yeah. and, and you, it's like mezcal, you know, we were talking about mezcal. I mean, how do these guys make mezcal in, in, in some parts in Mexico, you know, without, instruments of 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 uh measuring you know just by the yeah. notes the taste the feeling the whatever yeah. you know and, and you don't the become tradition, yeah. the tradition yeah. so we are we're into that and um that's our that's our production we don't think we're gonna increment it um we feel like that's a good number that's what um our demand is asking and and we can't that the space is limited the the amphoras are limited so (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to become an amphora production facility on top of uh, a winery too much in our hands you know we we (laughs) feel like distilling wise we have experimenting more than any other in mexico about more than a hundred different things distill you know um, wow. So not everything is on the market, of course. They were just experiments. But we we dare to, you know, we're not afraid. We went out there and we did the wine like that. We did the, this distillations, this fermentation. So we, we, we're we happy with the result, you know. We at least yeah. broke the fear and, and did it, not only, not only in words. So we'll see what uh, comes out out of these experiments right now. We made a café de olla liqueur in Habanero yeah. one. A Chile one, which I, we believe it's gonna get out there. We make our own limoncellos, as I said, our grappa, uh, the prickly pear, the the pulque, the mezcales. 
uh, we infuse a couple of them. So, you know, we're kind of seeing what, what people like, what the, what is out there and hopefully start uh, exporting the, the distills because there are small batches, but once we can start yeah. having a bit more of the prickly pear, for example, then we can maybe think of, of exporting it and to maybe distribute it a bit uh, large. Yeah. I, I'd love for you to come up with a, a name for the distilled prickly pear, like a, we, you know, we, sort of like Colonche is the, is the yeah. you know, ferment, the fermented version. We have one. We have one. The name is Tapon. Tapon is... Tapon. Tapon, yeah. Tapon is kind of like what the prickly pear has on one edge, you know, kind of like this rough part. You don't want to eat it. So, you know, oh, you the little... cut it. And they say if you eat that or if you eat too many prickly pears because of the seeds, you can get constipated, you know. So, it's <laughs> Tapon and also Tapon means if you drink too much, you know, it's like what, what a you know, how drunk you got. So it has kind of several meanings, but that's the name of our, of our uh, prickly pear, Tapon. And that's just your personal name for it. Well, it's actually on the label. It's, it's on the label. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your house name, the house name for, for for your distillate. Got it. For that prickly pear and the other ones have other names, but uh, you know, we, uh, we're starting to see what the result is. Right. Well, I guess I was thinking like mezcal or whiskey, and then prickly pear needs its own name. Oh, I see. Know. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, like, one, maybe I can share the name or they can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, great. Well, any, any, could you just say how people might find out more about what you're doing, like online, you know, yeah, I think website or Instagram or what, what, what's the best way to find out more? Yeah, I think it's easy as uh, just going in Instagram for our wine, Octagono. I think it's we are there as Octagono Vino, Octagono Vino uh, MX. Um, and then we do have kind of like a website for our shipping container hotel, a micro site for, um, for the Octagono uh, Vino. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, there's Facebook too, but I think Instagram... Um, and then for the mezcal, we also have, of course, an Instagram account, Penca y Piedra, Mezcal Penca y Piedra. We have, let me see here. Um, second, let me see where the the documentary, the, the one I sent you, it's, I think it's El, El Nidal. It's el, elnidal.com.mx slash octagonal. That's where you can see uh, the documentary, the 10, 11 minute documentary. And that, yes, that's yeah. a, a web page elnidal.com.mx slash octagonal. So I think with that, I mean, in Instagram, there's a, a, a link where you see where, where we have been uh, published, you know, and there are very nice articles there. The Vim Pear one, the Wine Folly, and I don't know, the, yeah. the Wine Mag. Um, uh, and yeah. I appreciate these yeah. guys doing it. Uh, um, yeah, Vine Pear, yeah. Vine Pear is nice. Well, any other final things that you, you want to mention at all? Well, Did we cover I, enough? I believe so. <laughs> I mean, just, just if they're around San Miguel de Allende, come and visit us. Um, right on. And, or if they that, what's the name of your tasting room? Should we just look up Octagonal? We actually, like we are, we don't have a name and we don't have a certain okay. <laughs> But the address is, it's in a street called Tenerías. Tenerías. Okay. And... Um, and it's number two. But if you go inside the, uh, we have an Airbnb experience. And if you go inside okay. the, the, uh, the Instagram, they can just chat with us and we can give them more info. We like to keep it like us, kind of like in a speakeasy kind of thing. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Appointment drop-in sort of vibe. Nice. Yes. Um, well, great. Well, thanks so much. Marcelo, this is uh, great talking to you. I really appreciate it. It was great. And I, I, I would also like to, to, I'm going to try to research more about your wine and your projects and maybe try them sometime. Yeah, great. Well, next time you're here, uh, if you're yeah. if you're in town, just let me know. And you will you can come see my little permaculture wine garden yeah. here in, in Los Likewise Angeles. Likewise here. Come and visit San Miguel. You're going to fall in love with it. Oh, 
I would love, I'm sure I will. I, I should spend, I should plan to spend a month and like brush up on my Spanish while I'm there too. Sure. Um, <laughs> well, thank you again. It's been great talking to you. Appreciate Thanks, you, Adam. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I want to say a special and big thanks, as always, to everyone who is subscribed on Patreon. It is extremely valuable and important and necessary to make this podcast possible. And if you enjoyed this and would like to support this podcast in that way, you will find the Patreon link in our show notes and on the support page at organicwinepodcast.com. You will also be able to contact me with any questions at connect at organicwinepodcast.com. And of course, leaving a review is always helpful, especially if it's a good review. Uh, But any honest feedback is welcome. And really just sharing this with friends and people that you think would find value in this, if you enjoy this, is extremely helpful to get the word out and to make this uh, more valuable use of my time and, and everyone who I interview. So thank you so much.